Hello and welcome to the most unprofessional podcast you've ever heard. It's Champagne and Murder, Please, and I'm Brittany. Sorry about yesterday and not getting the podcast out. Between people being sick and people coming down to the pod dungeon, it just didn't get done. I hope you guys had a great weekend. I know I did. I have a really good, really, really good story for you guys today, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did um, getting into it and researching it. Um, it's about a all-female gang in London. I'm super excited. Let's get into it. So my story today is about the 40 Elephants. It was a girl gang in London. Obviously, I told you that. Um, my sources came from bitchmedia.org, wikipedia.org, and dannydutch.com. So, girl gangs might sound like a modern British problem. But new research has revealed an all-female crime syndicate had a firm and pitiless grip on London as far back as the 18th century. Forgotten stashes of photographs, records, and letters have revealed that although the capital was carved into different fiefdoms by various male villains, one all-female gang ruled part of the gangland underworld for almost two centuries. The gang operated from the Elephant and Castle area in London. They allied with the Elephant and Castle mob led by the MacDonald brothers. They provided protection and occasional assistance to the female gang. They would raid quality stores in London's West End and ranged all over the country. They were known to masquerade as housemaids for wealthy families before ransacking their homes. They are thought to have existed from at least 1873 to the 1950s. Mary Carr was the first queen of the gang. She was an expert thief. One afternoon in 1915, a group of elegantly dressed women arrived in hired cars at the prestigious Selfridges department store in London. Dressed in furs, jewels, and expensive dresses, the staff treated them as they would any upscale customer, and being in a prudish era, left the women to try on items in privacy. It wasn't until after the women left that the staff realized those women had shoplifted a small fortune's worth of gems, furs, and clothing. Uh-oh. They hid their loot in modified clothing that had extra-secret pockets. Their coats, their cummerbunds, muffs, skirts, bloomers, and even in their hats. The gang stole thousands of pounds of goods, and it was enough so that they could financially support their spouses. These spouses in question included both idle men who would lounge at home and inmates of the British prison system. Mary Carr's expertise was in hoisting, stealing goods and reselling them through fences, which are like brokers. The gang's goal was never to retain the items they had stolen, but to become rich by selling to third parties. They acquired most of their goods through shoplifting, seducing, and blackmailing influential men, and conning their way into jobs as housemaids using forged references, and then looting the homes in which they worked. Alice Diamond succeeded Mary Carr as the queen of the gang in 1916. Diamond had been a skilled shoplifter since childhood, with her first arrest at age 17. She would wear diamond rings as makeshift brass knuckles, an ostentatious display of her love of glamour and her penchant for violence. She was striking, powerful, and stood at 5'9", in a time when the average man was just 5'6". The other thieves, most of whom were older than Diamond, fell in line behind her leadership skills and vision. She knew the effect styling could have on their chances for success, and under their influence, the 40 elephants became known for their decadent excess and trendy, expensive attire. 
Diamond efficiently reorganized the gang by splitting them into separate cells. This allowed for simultaneous robberies to occur in various parts of the city, dividing police's attention and catching the shopkeepers by surprise. They confounded police by handing off stolen goods to unseen accomplices on foot before dashing off in a high-speed car chase. Police were left befuddled when they would catch up to a car and found it devoid of any stolen goods. Cars also allowed the members to expand their operation outside of London to nearby towns. All the better once the gang's faces became too well known to local law enforcement to go incognito. Diamond created the Hoister's Code which was a code that outlined the democratic manner in which the gang operated, including provisos dealing the equal division of money from the heist jobs, an expectation for the gang to care for family members of an imprisoned thief, and for women to always provide alibis for each other. Diamond also codified an expectation of absolute fealty that was punishable by quote-unquote ridicule or beating when disobeyed. While the guidelines were strictly enforced, so too were a number of other rules ensuring the smooth operation of the criminal syndicate, such as one forbidding theft of money or boyfriends among members. The group's shared treasury was used to assist members in trouble and to pay for lawyers as well as funding extravagant lifestyles. Membership in the gang was akin to being part of a union, but with unusually fair benefits for all. Diamond was ruthless in protecting her gang's territory. Should an outsider steal from a shop in their area, they demanded the interloper pay a percentage of their takings. If the offender refused, the gang would beat or kidnap the offender until they agreed to the terms and paid their due. Ultimately, Diamond was undone by her increasing fixation on controlling the gang. The Hoister's Code forbade members from doing anything against Diamond's wishes, including marrying men she did not approve of. That's going a little too far. When a member defied her in 1925, Diamond led the gang in a brutal attack on the newlyweds so disruptive that it became known as the Lambeth Riot. For her role as instigator, Diamond was sentenced to 18 months in prison. By the time she was freed, a new queen had taken over. Diamond turned to a career managing a brothel while still offering tutelage to aspiring young thieves. One of her protégés, Shirley Pitts, was the acknowledged queen of the gang in the 1960s. Pitt's operation was on a smaller scale than that of her mentor. Changing fashions made it harder to stow shoplifted loot inside of clothing, as stores also in increased security and surveillance. Diamond Annie would go on to die relatively young at the age of 55 from multiple sclerosis. The media's portrayal of the 40 elephants continued to expand their legend, and their enemies continued to underestimate them. The newspapers wrote rapturously about Diamond and her gang as gorgeous party girls, but the women were just as brutal as other street gangs. Their heyday was the interwar period when the gang raided on a large scale not only in the West End, but also other major shopping centers across the country. They also forced smaller gangs to pay tribute on what they had stolen and would punish criminals who did not obey their rules. They were often said to be able to meet equal numbers of men in battle and were admired by their male counterparts in the Elephant Gang for their organization and their expertise. During the 20th century, the gang modernized their activities. They invested in fast cars to transport their loot and to use as getaway vehicles that could outrun the police. Loot was also transferred through the British railway system. The members used trains to travel to town and deposited their empty suitcases at railway stations. During the return trip, the suitcases were filled with the stolen goods. 
Besides the shoplifting, the gang developed side hustles such as looting houses and blackmailing individuals. Gang members used false reference letters to get hired as maids and would then rob the houses of their employers. They also managed to seduce men into brief affairs and then blackmail them with threats of ruining their reputations. By the 1920s, the gang members started imitating the so-called Bright Young Things group whose exploits appeared in the popular press. The gang members led extravagant and decadent lifestyles by imitating the exploits of the era's movie stars and flappers. While gang members often stole clothing items, they typically did not wear the stolen clothes. Their loot was distributed to a network of fences and street market traders and pawnbrokers. Part of the stolen clothing items were sold to clothing stores, which simply replaced the labels and modified the designs. Some of the fences associated with the gang were also arrested, but they couldn't be convicted. Ada McDonald was arrested as a suspected fence in 1910. She used ledgers of suspect authenticity to convince authorities that the goods in her possession were the products of legitimate financial transactions. Jane Durrell, another suspected fence, and her common-law husband, Jim Bullock, were both placed on trial in 1911. The jury decided that the police evidence against them was insufficient, and they were acquitted and released. The gang was taken over by Lillian Rose Kendall, a flapper doll if there ever was one. The 40 elephants were active until the 1950s, when increased store security and sleeker clothing made shoplifting much more difficult. And that is my story about the all-girl gang. Now that's a girl gang I could get into. I hope you guys enjoyed the story as much as I did. I just liked the story of female badasses. Um, tune in later this week for me and Mark bringing you two new stories. And if you want to get a hold of us, our email is champagneandmurderplease at gmail.com. And we're on Instagram and Facebook. And I started a TikTok, but I don't think that one's going to go very far. I'm not very photogenic. Marcus, not me. But anyway, stay safe and don't take candy from strangers. Bye.